or what is the reason for possible podcasting podcasting but don't know how do you want to make money from your podcast do you want your podcast to be broadcast on various platforms you have one single answer to all your question anchor anchor helps you to create and edit your podcast it shares your podcast across various other podcasting platforms like spotify breaker google podcast all you need to do is anchor this cannot record your podcast and anchor does the rest anchor the one stop podcasting platform for you morning welcome to another episode of history under your feet today we take a life look at the life of one of the greatest hindu leaders of the 20th century swami shraddhanand one of the proponents of the original garbapsi a nationalist and a socialist social reformer too when one looks at the intellectual renaissance that rose nationalism in the early 19th century we had great thinkers like swami vivekananda swami dayananda arbindo and leaders like lala lajpat rai who played a role in fomenting nationalism in punjab and north it was to such an illustrious pantheon of greats that swami shraddhanand also known as mahatma munshiram belonged to it's ironical though that his early life showed no signs of greatness to come he was an atheist caught addicted to gambling drinking and lust In a sense his early life had some parallels with that of Swami Dayananda. Born in a well-to-do family in Jalandhar district of Punjab in 1856 his real name was Munshi Ram Bach. His father Nanak Chand was a top-ranking police officer and that meant the family was constantly on the move. His atheist beliefs were born out of his own bitter experiences like seeing devotees being stopped at a temple to allow a lady of a noble family to complete a puja. or when he was attracted to christianity he saw the priest in a compromising position with a nun and gave it up he tried to go towards islam but in varanasi he witnessed a case where an influential muslim lawyer accused of the rape of a young girl managed to get away thanks to his power for a while he spent time in madura and was disgusted with what he saw as the corruption and gluttony of the priest there as well as the attempted rape of a female devotee these experiences made him cynical he became an atheist lost interest in studies and was became addicted to alcohol and gambling fortunately it was an encounter with swami dayananda saraswati that put his life back on the right track and veered him away from the path of ruin his father was then posted in bareilly and was in charge of the security arrangements for dayananda's visit as well as a public debate with reverend scott he went along with some of his friends to actually disrupt the arrangements but was impressed by swami ji's personality He admired Swamiji's fearlessness in disregarding the threats to his life and taking the missionaries head on. He had his own discussion with Swamiji about God and told him that while his arguments were perfect, he could not get himself to believe in God. Swamiji simply smiled and told him, "When did I promise that I would make you believe in God? Your faith in God will only come when the Lord Himself makes you a believer." The prophecy by Swamiji came true in a way. He witnessed his wife Shiva Devi pawning her ornaments. to pay for his drinking and a friend of his attempting to rape a girl under the influence of alcohol it was then he realized the ill effects of liquor and how it could make a man into a beast swan adhis was on the path to become a believer munshiram finished his law studies and began to practice in jalandhar 
It was at Jalandhar that he joined the Arya Samaj and came under the influence of Lala Devraj. It would result in a total transformation in his life. He gave up alcohol, meat eating and began to take part in the activities of Arya Samaj regularly. When some of the more conservative Brahmins planned to declare its outcast, he came to know their clandestine activities and threatened to expose them, making them retreat. His popularity rose even more when he won a public debate with Pandit Shamdas of Amritsar on the Vedas. He started the weekly Sadharma Pracharak in Urdu for the propagation of Vedic philosophy and also started the morning time Nagar Kirtan. After he successfully organized the Arya Samaj anniversary in Jalandhar, it became even more noted and he became even more well known. One of the major initiatives taken by him was in the field of women's education. In those days, mostly Christian missionary schools allowed women and away they often brainwashed them against Hinduism. He underscored the need for a women's education in the second issue of Sadharma Pracharak in an article headlined Adura Insa for Half Justice. The series of articles in 1889 strongly argued about the need for Hindu schools to admit women. In spite of opposition from more, from more conservative Hindus and missionaries, he he stood his ground and in 1891 the foundation was laid. By 1892, around 40 girls had enrolled. They were given incentives to study and by 1895 the school had 100 girl students. The Kanya Mahavidyalaya High School for Girls was inaugurated in June 1896 and it reached out to students in Punjab, the Northwest, and even some from Pune. In a way, Munshiram was heavily influenced by Satyata Prakash of Swami Dayanand and championed the cause of women's education vigorously. He began to conduct the remarriage of child widows, often at the cost of being excommunicated. Again, he stood his ground, quoting from the Vedas and Manusmriti to show that widow remarriage was not against Hindu Dharma. In 1925, he passed a resolution through Arasamar stating that no girl should be married before 16 and no boy before 25. We take a small break and when we come back, we look at his founding of the Kangri Vijjalaya and the concept behind it. Though he was a part of the Arisa March, Munshiram felt that DAV schools were not really suitable for producing adults who would live as per the Vedic ideals. He wanted to make Vedic education the core curriculum at DAV, however, a section opposed him. And soon there was a split in the Arisa March between those who advocated a Vedic form of instruction and those who were against it. He was among those believing in the Gurukul system far away from the urban centers where he felt the youth were vulnerable to all kinds of vices. It could have been due to his own experiences. His ideal education was in a Gurukul located among forest hills far away from urban areas, imparting the study of Vedas as well as the modern disciplines. And it was this dream that took shape in 1901 at the village of Kankal near Haridwar, on land donated by Munshi Amar Singh. By 1917, the Gurukul became a huge complex of buildings with 276 students, a university with 64 students and staff of 35. It had laboratories, classrooms, dormitory, hospital, workshop, Soon other branches of the Gurukul opened at Multan Kurukshetra and Rohatak. This Gurukul is now famous as the Gurukul Kangri University at Haridwar, one of the leading education institutes in India. When Lala Rajpatrai was arrested and deported, the Britishers began to crack down on the Arisamaj as they felt it had become a centre of sedition. Munshiram began to argue that the Arisamaj was a purely religious body not connected with politics in a series of articles. He however spoke out against harassments our Samajis had to undergo at the hands of British and even defended Lalaji in a newspaper article in 1907. 
He even invited British officials to the Gurukul, and one of them was C.F. Andrews, who praised it as a real India, and later became his close friend. Others were Ramsay MacDonald, Viceroy Lord Chelmsford, and in 1915, Mahatma Gandhi visited it and was totally impressed. When the Patiala Maharaja imprisoned 75 Arya Samajists for sedition in 1909, Munshiram appeared in court to defend them. He forced the Maharaja to apologize and withdraw the case. With the passing away of his life, wife Munshiram decided to take the sannyas. And on April 12, 1917, in the presence of 20,000 witnesses, he undertook the initiation, studying his old garments, assuming a new life. He took the name of Shraddhananda, saying faith or Shraddha was what guided his life. He cut off ties with his family, Arasamaj, and declared that only God was his guru. Munshi Ram was now Swami Shraddhananda, the free spirit liberated from all early world earthly bonds. While apolitical for the most part, he plunged into the freedom movement in 1919 in response to Mahatma Gandhi's call. He actively protested against the draconian Rollet Bill and soon began to address mass meetings all over. When riots broke out in Delhi, Swami Shraddhananda arrived there to restore peace. A group of Manipuri soldiers tried to control the crowd, aimed their rifles at it. Swami Shraddhanand definitely bared his chest and invited them to fire. Fortunately, the situation was diffused with the arrival of a European officer. It was then Swami Shraddhanand realized his leadership potential and the ability to guide crowds. On April 4, 1919, Swami Shraddhananda created history, preaching from the pulpit of Jamma Masjid in Delhi. In his characteristic saffron rose, Swami Shraddhananda spoke about the need for Hindu-Muslim unity and how they unite against a common enemy, the British government. His act of bearing his chest to soldiers and his preaching from the pulpit of Jama Masjid had an electrifying effect. He was by now seen as a hero, a saviour whose time had come. Though Swami Shraddhananda came into the freedom movement at the insistence of Mahatma Gandhi, he later fell out with him on many issues. He was not satisfied with the tactics adopted by Gandhi. He felt non-violence was not really an effective way. The major difference between them was on two, that of Dalits and other of Hindu-Muslim relationships. Coming from an Arisamaj background, it was only character that determined a person's destiny, not his birth. He was completely against untouchability and wanted to make it a core issue of the Congress Manifesto. He felt that mere political freedom would have no meaning if people were discriminated on the basis of caste. He wanted the Dalits to be accepted as equal partners, allowed entry to temples, and given education in schools. Swamiji exposed the nefarious activities of the Christian missionaries and believed that the only way to counter them was to give the Dalits more education and a more dignified life. However, the Congress party ignored these resolutions and instead appeared to be more interested in the Khilafat movement. In spite of Swamiji's repeated attempts at various Congress sessions to include removal of untouchability as a core point, it was never given importance by Gandhiji and at it, the Ali brothers played their own dirty politics to sideline him. Undeterred, Swamiji kept fighting for the rights of the untouchables and actively took up their cause for Tamil entry and education in a new magazine, The Liberator. The other major difference Swamiji had with Gandhi was over the Khilafat issue. He felt that Khilafat movement was just a means to spread radical Islamism in India through the back door. He repeatedly warned Gandhiji of increasing the Khilafat, saying it was potentially observed, but his concerns were dismissed. The Congress also started its policy of appeasing radical Muslim leaders in order to counter the Muslim League's growing influence. When some Muslims demanded, when some Hindus demanded ban on slaughter, Gandhi refused to do so, saying Muslims should not be forced to do so. 
At the same time, in 1912, the Mopla rebellion in Kerala's Malabar region resulted in horrific atrocities against the Hindus there. Gandhiji refused to condemn, condemn them, fearing it would affect the Hindu-Muslim unity and in fact praised the Moplas for their jihad. When the Hindus protested against the Muslim silence of the Mopla atrocity, Gandhiji once again dismissed their concerns. Dissatisfied with what he felt as the Congress silence over the radical Muslim activities, Swamiji was now attracted to the Hindu Mahasabha. And on April 2, 1923, he spoke in the presence of Madan Mohan Malaviya and other members of the need to integrate the Dalits in the Hindu fold through education and a better life. He felt that only Hindu unity could save them from other religions trying to wipe out the Sanatan Dharma. And one such significant event was the Shuddhi of the Malkana Rajputs who had converted to Islam forcibly. These Rajputs scattered around Madhra Farukabad were Muslims with name, but they followed Hindu customs. On 30th, 13th February 1923, he established the Bharatiya Hindu Shuddhi Sabha to reconvert them back to the Hindu fold, and soon he travelled from village to village reconverting, and by the end of the year, around 30,000 had undergone the Shuddhi. This naturally arose the ire of influential Muslim leaders who condemned his activities, and in places like Muradabad, Swamiji was barred from any public activity. Sadly, he did not get any support either from Congress leaders, and many like Mutila Nehru, Jawaharlal Nehru, Gandhiji distanced, distanced themselves to Shuddhi's movement. Gandhiji, in fact, called Swamiji hasty and immature. He called the Arisamaj too narrow-minded in his interpretation of the Vedas. Notwithstanding Gandhiji's disapproval of Shuddhi, the fact was that it saved many Hindus from conversion to Christianity or Islam. In 1926, Swamiji performed the Shuddhi of a Muslim lady, Ashkari Begum, in Delhi. She was reconverted and given the name of Shanti Devi. It, however, led to a huge uproar in the Muslim community. A former husband filed a case of abduction and forcible conversion against Swamiji, his son Indra and his son-in-law Dr. Sukhdev. However, Swamiji was acquitted of all charges by the court. On December 23, 1926, he was taking rest in his daily home. A Muslim by the name of Abdul Rashid asked him to see him and discuss with him some aspects of Islam. Swamiji explained he was weak and had an attack of pneumonia and said he would discuss later. Rashid asked for some water and when Swamiji's personal attendant Dharma was away, fired two shots point blank into his chest. Though he was overpowered by Dharma and Indra, Swamiji was dead on the spot. The great man had become a martyr for the cause of the nation, for the cause of Sanatan Dharma. He paid a price for his steadfast faith in his beliefs from which he never wavered. On his journey, he took time to pay a silent tribute to Swami Shraddhanand, the proponent of the original Garbapsi, a man who called out the dangers of the Islam, Islamism, a great social reformer, a nationalist and the thinker, Naman.